purpose becomes much larger than ourselves at that point. And today we're going to be talking about fueling your purpose. And, and what we're going to look at is how that we grow in this Christian life by helping others. So Christianity is not, a, it's not just for you. I heard a story like, I don't know how many years ago. Of, I'm old, so it's probably a long time ago. I heard a story about an oil pump in Texas that pumped just enough oil to keep itself running. Some of you are like, yeah, I own that well. <laughs> um, and sometimes that's exactly how our Christian life is. We got just enough faith going on to keep us going, but we really don't have enough to, to share around. And so today we're talking about how, how to fuel that, because it takes fuel to get through life. So this year, my parents had some medical issues, had a crazy first half or middle half of the year, whatever. I took my half out of the middle, really. So uh, that's how my grandfather used to drive. <clears throat> but the middle half of my year, she's like, that's really weird, Michael. I know, that's why I'm struggling with it right now. It was really rough, and I had to, I had to go to Tennessee where my parents live, you know, three times over about as many weeks, three or four weeks. And uh, so I, I, I flew it. I, I, well, fl boy, were my arms tired. No, I, I got a plane. I flew it once, and I hate, I hate flying. I had to, uh, we, we, I dropped, I went down and flew out of Colorado Springs because my wife was going to spend some time with our kids down there. So while I was gone, so I flew out of Colorado Springs. I flew to Texas and for a, a connecting flight. I, then I went into Nashville, and then I had to drive to my parents' house. And, and by the time I got all that done and got all the way back home, then I had COVID. Yay! And, uh, and I'm like, I am never flying this again. Then two weeks later, I drive it. And I get in my truck, and I stop every two to four hours to fuel that thing up. And I'm, I'm just basically paying gas stations all the way across the country. It's a two-day drive, two 12-hour days, which is grueling. And I, and I get there, and I come back, and I do that one week, and I turn around and do it again the next week. And I say, I'm never driving this thing again. So I called my mom and said, sorry, I can't come home ever again. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what I said. Anyway, it was, it was grueling. It, it just took a lot out of me. And, but, it's, you know, it takes a lot of fuel to get across the country. So I learned that. Um, I am not a hiker. I was going to say, I was going to combine backpacker and hiker and come out hacker. <laughs> don't, I don't know. It just happened that way in my head. Sorry. Um, but I'm really not a, a hiker or backpacker, but every now and then one of my friends will invite me because I, they look at me and go, two things. One, I can outrun him, <laughs> for sure. And two, if a grizzly bear sees him, he looks like a giant snicker bar. And so, so if they do invite me, then they give me the bacon and the meat and they kind of, I carry all that stuff. And so, not, not a hiker, but if I ever get invited, that's, that's the purpose for getting invited. But I have a friend who is an avid hiker, uh, Jerry Oss is his name, and several years ago he was telling me a story about he was hiking the Tetons, and he, and he got so tired he couldn't think of anything he could eat and keep down. And I'm like, you lost me there, Jerry. I've never had, <laughs> never had that happen. Never had that happen. But he said, no, I just couldn't think. I was, but, but I needed to eat. I was, I was weak and so forth. And he, and he said, I was coming down the mountain, and I thought to myself, you know, I could probably eat a pizza. And he's like, but I'm in the middle of the Tetons. How am I going to find a pizza in the middle of the Tetons? Not long after that, he rounds a corner, and there's a bunch of young hikers getting ready to hike into the mountain, not far, you know, a couple miles off the trailhead. And they said, listen, man, we got a bunch of pizza left over. 
we're about to get rid of it. Would you like some pizza? You're like, Jerry loves God, and he's like, only God could do that. God's just like wonderful, you know, to fuel his journey. So your life, your life needs fuel. The funny thing about fueling your life is that sometimes the things that we think fuel us don't actually fuel us. So there's this passage in um, Galatians that says, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So have you ever thought to yourself, man, I need a break, I need some rest, I need, I need to recover, I need, I need something. And you did what it was you normally do when you need something. Maybe you did the Netflix binge or you, you did uh, whatever recreational thing you like. And, and you got done, you got through your vacation, your getaway, your escape, whatever it was. And you got through it and you're like, I'm more tired now than I was before. I, I, it, it didn't work, you know. And, and I, I'm like that. I have these, my staple things I do to, to kind of unplug. And a lot of times they don't actually energize me. They don't actually restore my soul. My wife and I have this conversation a lot. There's a place I get tired I don't know how to pour into sometimes. I don't know how to restore. And so today, that's kind of, kind of where I want to go with this because often we, we try and do things to fill that exhausted place, whether it's hoard money or experiences or alone time or whatever it is, and it doesn't work. But... There's also some times that we'll take and rather than hoard things and unplug and wall ourselves off, we'll engage. So last week I had a kind of a crazy week and I was, I was really tired come Thursday. And what I wanted to do was crawl in my Michael bubble and just stick my tongue out at everybody and say, leave me alone. <laughs> you ever like that? But we had planned a trip with some friends. Steve and Becky. <clears throat> and I'm scared of Steve. <laughs> I'm, scared. I'm pretty sure he was just as tired as I was. And we were like, man, we don't want to go, but we, we need to go. We need to do this. So, so we did. We unplugged and we went down to uh, the Carmel Campground in the Sheep Creek Geological Loops, not very far away. My phone didn't work, so I was praising God for that. And we hung out for a day and a half, two days, enjoyed nature, phone wasn't even able to ring, Facebook wasn't on, all that stuff. And I was energized, strengthened. Not because I unplugged and walled myself off, but because I stepped into a shared experience with some friends. My point is sometimes we try and fuel ourselves with isolation and it drains us. And sometimes if we learn to step into sharing things, we are fueled by shared experience. Does that make sense? So when we talk about ministry, church, and, and following Jesus Christ, you've got to have fuel for this, or you won't make it. You wouldn't hop in your car headed to California or the East Coast and not stop at a gas station. And, and a lot of people are doing that with their faith. They're just like, okay, I'm with Jesus now, but they never pour anything spiritual into that faith. 
And so today we're going to talk a little bit about how to do that, okay? So let's start with some words that Jesus said to his disciples. I love Jesus' disciples because I identify with them. They were just as dumb as I am. It's true. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus, you know, he's, they've, they've watched him get arrested, condemned, crucified. They spent three days, you know, wondering what was going to happen, thinking it was over. And then Jesus raises from the dead. Then they spend 40 days hanging out with Jesus after he'd already been dead. And now Jesus is getting ready to ascend to the Father on the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem. And the disciples look at him at Jesus, who's getting ready, and some of them are still doubting him after even all of this, by the way, in Acts chapter 1. But they look at him and they ask him this question. They say, all right, Jesus. Well, maybe they didn't say that, but they said something like this. Is it time? Is this the end of all things? Is, is God about to set everything right and so forth? When I, when I hear that question in Acts, I think to myself, that is exactly where the church of Jesus is today. The church of Jesus is, things are really getting uncomfortable and I wonder if Jesus is coming back quick, soon, before my car payment's due, maybe. <laughs> or I have to cook dinner again or go to work in the morning. We're always looking at God going, okay, it's a mess down here. When are you going to come clean this thing up? And he says, it's your room. You clean it up. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> other sermon, other sermon. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so the disciples asked Jesus that question, and this is Jesus' response to the question. And a lot of times Jesus answers questions with the answer to the question that should have been asked, not the one that was asked. And this is kind of that moment. So the disciples asked Jesus, when's God going to set everything right? Paraphrased. Verse 7, Jesus replies, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they are not for you to know. They are not for you to know. Write that one down. Nunya. That's nunya. Nunya business. Nunya. All right. They are not for you to know. But you will receive power. Dunamis. Greek word. I mean, it's where we get our word dynamite. Explosive, uncontained, uncontrollable power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will feel really cool and perform parlor tricks <laughs> after that. Power, you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses telling people everywhere about me. Telling about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, the disciples are like, hey, when's the bus leaving? We want out. And Jesus is like, oh, wrong question. The bus schedule's up to the Father. You won't miss it. The right question is what you're here to do. And what you're here to do is to tell my story. What you're here to do is be my witness. Why is that? Have you noticed that the world's got big problems today? It's so overwhelming, we try not to think about it. I, I, I have to. I have, there's, a, there's a psalm. David said, I try not to concern myself with things that are too large for me. And God has given, to it, given it to me all the time. Because I'm pretty sure that I could go into D.C. and fix this country in about 13 seconds. 
You're like, Michael, that's really arrogant. I know, I'm an idiot like that. (laughs) I need to stop worrying about that. That is not my concern. That's not why I'm here. My mission, I have a purpose now. What's my purpose? To sit around and be afraid of what could happen? No, no. My purpose is to walk into a world with big problems and present a much, much, much larger solution. You see, Jesus is the solution. And you're sitting there going, well, how can Jesus be a solution to all of these problems? I'm not real clear on the particulars. I just know that he is. My life has been, has its own level of mess now. I have had all kinds of big problems. And Jesus has often just walked in, maybe always just walked in, and at some point given me the solution I needed. He didn't, he, he almost never does things on the time frame I expected, but he always shows up with the solution that I need. It's funny to me, I was, Steve and I were talking this weekend, and I was just, Ordinary faith is a miracle to me. I, I, just, I can't even begin to tell you. I wish I had time to go through the story right now, but I don't. Um, it, it's, it's a miracle to me because, one, where we are right now, we never plan to get here, which is like breaks every church planter rule in the book, okay? You have to sit down. You have to pick your target audience. You have to have your mission. You've got to figure out your front door, your back door. There's a whole lot to church planting that you don't care about, and I actually don't either at this point. But when we started Ordinary Faith, we were just like, okay, we love the Lord. We want people to follow Jesus. That was pretty much the only plan we had. We started doing different things. And I look back over how God orchestrated bringing certain people together, certain small groups together, house churches together. And I realized that, all of the, that none of that could I have done intentionally. I believe in intentionality, but I realize now looking back that God orchestrated things in ways that I am not smart enough to do, okay? And so that's what we need to realize is that God has a plan. God's at work. He has a mission for us. He has a solution for us in Jesus. And the mission as believers has not changed. He still wants us to tell people about the big solution. Let me, let me share this with you, too. This is something that Steve shared with the small group leaders a couple nights ago that I, I really loved. He shared a five levels of engagement type of thing. And, and I, uh, I don't want to share all that, but I, he talked about level one of where people engage with, with Christ and so forth. And it's the first step in coming to Jesus is to trust a Christian. To trust a Christian. Think about where you've been. I'm telling you what, trusting a Christian's challenging. If you gave me a Christian plumber and an atheist plumber, I might go with the atheist. You're like, why would you do that, Michael? Because the Christian's got grace. He can rob me blind and ask for forgiveness. The atheist... (laughs) Just being facetious, all right? All right. I love to support our Christian business people, but I also love to make fun of some of my experiences that I've had in life. My point is we're here to be witnesses. And you know what? Being a witness starts with not pulling up on a street corner, slapping a Jesus sticker, Ichthus fish thingamabob on your car, or the verse you post on Facebook. Being a Christian and connecting with the lost world just starts with being a person who cares about and has some compassion toward people. 
Do you realize how rare compassion is toward people today? I realize that there's a lot in the world to be mad about, but I also know this, everyone is dealing with their own junk. You can't look at a person on the planet right now that's not having a difficult time with something. And so we can begin with a place of compassion, understanding. In fact, the big thing God said to me over the last several years is, Michael, stop trying to tell people what you know and start trying to understand them, comprehend their life. So we begin. You want to feel your journey? You You have a purpose. The purpose is to be a witness. And being a witness isn't as complicated as, as as a sermon or any of those things. It begins with just being the kind of person that's trustworthy. Another thing that we can realize is, is, as we feel this is Jesus had a desire for us as believers, as Christ followers. He says in Romans 12, 10, he says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Love each other with genuine affection. Love each other. Jesus was really adamant about this. How do I know? There's a lot of ways I know. First of all, he talked about it a lot. One of the ways I find the most interesting is 1 John. The, the epistle, the letter of 1 John, is a letter written by the guy who, defi- who basically calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved in the Gospel of John. This is the guy, he was, if you could say one of the disciples was the closest, John, in argument, is that guy. He was the closest to Jesus. And his close relationship with Jesus manifested many years later into this letter, the epistle of 1 John, that is just filled with what love really is and what it looks like. And he, he talks extensively about loving each other. And this is very important for us. Jesus is, is serious about this. So what does that mean for you? Well, I don't want to drive anyone away from church. I think what we're doing on Sunday mornings is really important and should be a priority in our lives. I love what Steve pointed out earlier. We are together. There are a lot of us. We are in rows. That gives us a chance to, to be challenged, to think through some things, to, to listen, to grow, to learn. That's good. But Jesus did the, mount, the Sermon on the Mount... Then he sat down with the disciples, and 13 of them, counting him, talked about it, and he broke it down for them. And they had questions, and sometimes they asked dumb questions. And and he, he never rebuked them for that. He loved them, he taught them, he listened to them. And so our argument is, yes, church and rose is important, and I hope it never goes away. But church and circles is also just as important. It's really important to sit across a room, a table, something, and look someone in the face and talk about Jesus Christ, talk about the Word, talk about what you're struggling with, talk about what you need, talk about what you're waiting on, talk about what's hurting you, what's exciting you. We're made this way. God knows how we're made. This is part of the ecclesia, which is the the old Greek word for church. We are called into an assembly together. And, and part of that is shared life, shared experience, and learning to love each other. And I would love to tell you, oh, it's easy. All you got to do is just start loving each other. But I'm here to tell you it's the hardest thing ever, which is why people don't want to do it. It's hard to, 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 to enter into any kind of community that has transparency, authenticity. There's the word there. You know what I'm trying to say, right? Can't get it out. Not enough coffee this morning. 
It's, it's challenging to get into that. You could get hurt there. Being vulnerable means being vulnerable. I can say vulnerable, but not authenticity. How is that working? I don't get it. It's usually the one that trips me up. Relationships are hard. That's why most of the New Testament is written dealing with relationships. It's just full of stop hurting each other, be patient with each other, listen to each other, love each other, support each other, carry each other, just all kinds of one another's, just loaded with it. Why? Because the first church had problems with it too. Because they went to church with mean people just like you do. Not that you're mean, but the person next to you. Relationships are hard. They're hard at church. They're hard in your marriage. Relationships are just hard. Why? I, I, I think God's a genius. I, I, really, I really think he's a genius. He takes two people, two people who basically worship themselves. The Bible calls them idolaters, but all an idolater is is someone who's worshiping themselves. He takes two people who are self-worshippers and puts them in a marriage. And But you think about this. The first thing that happens when, when you meet that special someone is you think to yourself, oh man, this person has the same purpose in life as I do. Me. <laughs> and the other person's thinking the same way. And then six months later, the honeymoon starts to wane down and all of a sudden you realize, hang on a minute. <laughs> There's something wrong with them. That's what makes relationships hard. It's what makes marriage hard. It's what makes things challenging in our life. And that's why Jesus Christ said to us to love each other, have genuine love for each other, get past the cordial acquaintances and get into some actual real relationship. Because what's going to happen is the worst parts of you are going to come out in real relationship and the best parts of you are going to come out too. And you're going to learn about you and you're going to grow and it's going to be awesome and beautiful. And you're going to find over and over again that you have big problems and that Jesus is a bigger solution. Especially in relationships. So, if we're going to fuel it, we've got to fuel it with purpose, we've got to fuel it with love, and we also need to fuel it with fun. Fun. I am an avid, deep, 30-plus-year believer that living in relationship with Jesus and with believers should be a blast. It should be fun. Why, Michael? Because every church I've gone to, they're like, boring. (sighs) They were baptized in vinegar and lime, and they got dilled. Love each other with genuine affection and Take delight. Delight. Does delight sound boring? Does delight sound grumpy? Does it sound frowny? Does it sound sad? Take delight. Enjoy. Let it fill you. Take delight in honoring each other. We get to serve with so many wonderful people. So many people that God has done a work in. Are they messed up and broken and still do mean things? Of course. That'll stop on the other side of your tombstone. 
But there are so many things God has brought out of the lives in this room and in this body and in every church in this community. There's so many wonderful things. And so, so Paul tells us, take delight, enjoy, have fun with each other. It's a shame, man, that we live in a world that thinks of, you know, they, they can celebrate the sports ball teams, which is great. Maybe you should. They can celebrate the, the, the lottery wins or the ticket wins. They can celebrate all kinds of things. But you bring in some fanatic that gets excited about Jesus, we got no patience for that. Just another nut. Bring on the nuts, that's what I say. Mix, maybe that's what the, that's, maybe we should change the name of our church. Mixed nuts. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're like, where does he get this stuff? No idea, man. No idea. It just shows up. <clears throat> Take delight. Feel your journey with purpose, with love. Uh, feel your journey with, with fun, okay? Following Jesus should be a blast. And if it's not, if it's a drudgery, then something's, something's not right. Something's off. I, I, um, I'll come back to this. We'll come back to this when we talk about service. So the next thing I want to see, so fuel your journey with purpose. Then the next one may not sound so fun, but it is. Fuel your journey with sacrifice. Boy, the word sacrifice doesn't sound appealing at all. But even though it doesn't sound appealing, notice that the, some of the best events you've ever been to, some of the best parties that you've ever gone to to celebrate whatever thing it was, someone had to sacrifice to make that happen. Someone had to pay for it. Someone had to put in the service for it to make it happen. So the best things come out of sacrifice, even in, in, every, part, well, in every part of our lives. So the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 2, Paul's talking about giving, and he looks at the Macedonian Christians, and he says, they're being tested. By many troubles. So the Christians in Macedonia are having a lot of problems. And they're very poor, but they're also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. But I can testify, for I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. And they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. So if, if you're going to have things, if the church is going to step out in the world, if we're going to witness of Jesus and fulfill our purpose, I, I hate to be the one to tell you this. Maybe I like, I don't know, but it takes money to do that. It takes resources. It takes time. It takes serving. Several years ago, I had the privilege, the honor, I didn't see it as that at the time, but I do now, of taking a church mission team to Jamaica for a mission trip. Now you're probably thinking to yourself, oh, Jamaica, yeah, suffering for Jesus in Jamaica. <laughs> well, I don't like reggae music, so it was tough. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't care about that. We, uh, we went into the interior of Jamaica, which is incredibly poor. And so people live in shacks, and it's just very, it's not like you imagine Jamaica would be. And we got to meet uh, an amazing couple there, but my, my point is this, when we went, there's about 30 of us that took the mission trip, and we went to, I went to do some preaching and teaching, we went to do some vacation Bible schools for kids, and we went to do some construction projects, because many homes had suffered a lot of damage because of a hurricane that had been through a few years before. And we were working on the house of this mother of five children, single mom of five children, and she lived in a two-room shack. I mean, that... that house 
was about the size of my master bedroom closet in the house that I live in right now. Very small. And five children, her. She was, she was living in a, in a worse condition shack next to it, but at least it had a roof, and she was cooking on charcoal outside the back with these five children. It was just, just awful. And we started serving. And she was way tougher than us, by the way, but I don't have time to go into that. I'm already running out of time. But uh, we started serving, started trying to build the house. And here's, here's what I love. This is what I love when Christians start getting into something, especially giving and serving. So we went to do this project, and on day one, we're just fixing the house, trying to get a roof on it, trying to stabilize the door. Day two, all the guys are like, okay, we got to build beds for the kids. Day three, we have got to get a cement floor in this thing. It's a dirt floor. That's not going to work with these kids. By the time we left, every person in that room had emptied out everything in their wallets, They had gone into their bank accounts to get more money to provide for this mom, who was not even a believer, by the way. She was just a mom in need. And they had beds, they had mattresses coming, the cement pour, the floor was poured, all the doors were framed, the roof was on the property. And then they they left all of their tools behind for this mom that we took with us on the plane. All of this they gave, they were the happiest Baptists I had ever seen in my life. They were so filled with joy. And they gave way beyond what they were even able. That's what giving does. It opens up a place in you and sets it free. Many of you know that. Many of you support ordinary faith. You support groups in the town. You support individual missionaries. You support all kinds of groups. You, You take the resources God has given you and you give it to others. I'm just here to tell you, one of the things that could fuel your Christian life is releasing your resources into God's kingdom. Whether that's a church, whether that's a ministry or a mission group, whether that's inside connection and those type of things, there's all kinds of opportunities for you to give what God has given you and to become a channel of blessing. Why? Most people struggle with security about money. And the quickest way I know to have security about money is to realize that God is the one who gives the money. Does that make sense? And so you can fuel it through giving. I think giving is powerful. I could talk a lot about it, but I'm going to move into serving. Fuel your journey with giving, but also fuel your journey with serving. As those people began to give and serve and and work themselves to death every day, many of us larger middle-aged men who had no business climbing up that mountain every morning (laughs) to work on their house. As they began to serve and the joy of the Lord began to fill and energize, it was amazing to me to watch exhaustion, lack of sleep, Sleeping a different way. Watch it wash away with the joy of serving. See, I've, I've said many, many times in the faith, and I'll keep saying it until uh, something happens to me or, or, or what have you, is that Christians should serve out of a place of joy and purpose, never out of a place of guilt and obligation. I hate guilt and obligation, and here's why. It's terrible to try and run a church on guilt and obligation. 
Why? Because people will guilt and obligate themselves for a week, a month, maybe a quarter. doesn't matter how long it is, but sooner or later, the, the necessities and the burdens of life are going to outweigh the guilt and obligation, and they're just going to move on to the next thing and still feel guilty and obligated. That's just what happens. But you give me a few Christians who love Jesus, who have reordered their life around following Jesus. You don't have to guilt them. You don't have to obligate them. All you have to do is set them free. And then they go after Jesus in whatever that is, whether it's worship team, kids ministry, something out in the community, whatever it is, they go with purpose and mission and it energizes them. But guilt and shame drain and they are not how the kingdom of God works at all. Jesus didn't do guilt and shame. Jesus did power. He did forgiveness. He did real repentance. He did discipline slash discipleship. He did all of those things, all for the purpose of making mighty warriors, not whiny Christians. And so if you think about following Jesus and honoring God and growing by helping others, there's got to be a fuel for that. So fuel it with the things we've talked about, with, with fun, fuel it with love, fuel it with purpose, fuel it with giving, and fuel it with serving. Hey, I get it. If you need time to figure things out, that's, what's, that's what Rose is about. We're figuring things out, right? But the whole point is to reorder your life around Jesus Christ. As long as Jesus is an accessory to your life, you're going to be able to live without Him. You know, it's like the bobblehead doll on your dashboard of whatever person you don't like. You put it up there, but if it breaks, it gets knocked off. You don't care. You can live without it. It's just an unneeded accessory in your life. As long as Jesus is that, as soon as He gets challenging, as soon as things get difficult, you're just going to learn to live without Him. That's not how faith works. And so today, I'm challenging you to fuel your life. And fueling your life in the kingdom doesn't work like it does in the world. It works the opposite. We fuel it by serving. We fuel it by giving. We fuel it by relationship. And so today, as we we come in and we've, we've anchored our last waypoint and we have set ourselves up actually for next week, where we start in starting point. You're like, that's redundant. That was the point. Start in starting point. As we do that, I want us all to come together, realize we need each other. I want us to commit to each other, connect with each other. Does that make sense? Don't forget, text the word GROUP to 307-224-4404, and you can start getting signed up for a group or find a group for you because we're going to be starting after next Sunday. Okay, let's bow our heads, worship team. Father, thank you. Thank you for this good word. Thank you for the good laughter that we got to enjoy. Thank you for the reality that things in the kingdom work differently than they do on this earth. Thank you that our real freedom and our real joy come from you and not from things that go in bank accounts or sit in garages or storage. Thank you, Lord, that relationship is a gift from you. Places where we can be ourselves and be real and be known and belong. And help us, Lord, to have the courage to step into those places. Thank you, Jesus, for an amazing day. Please bless us and connect with us as we worship you. Help us to connect as we worship you in these last couple songs. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.